0: Welcome, welcome to the beginning of our brand new series, Bride and Gloom. Hopefully, uh, we will not be talking about gloomy things uh, too much. Instead, we're going to be talking about ways that we can have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. Well, uh, anytime we do a marriage series, there are always folks in the crowd who are single. And if you're single, you know you listen to these kind of messages and you're like, Oh, man. I'm single, I can't relate. Well, today is your lucky day because we're talking about singleness and dating. And so, pat yourself on the back because this is for you, okay? Uh, Todd came to my office and he said, Hey, I'm going to be gone. Wondered if you would teach on singleness and dating. And right away I said, Absolutely. And here's why because from the time I was a kid, I had always wanted to be married. In fact, Growing up in El Paso, Texas, I had a girlfriend down the street from me named Caprice. But because we were so close, I just called her Cappy. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Cappy and I were in love, but we were also in the third grade, which made eloping and those kind of things very difficult. I have uh, the memory of being young, and my dad came into his bedroom, and I was sitting on his bed flipping through a Sears catalog. And he said, Christopher, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for a ring to buy for Cappy. And my dad chuckled a little bit, and then he said, listen, man, you're in the third grade. You can't get married in the third grade. Now, obviously, I knew I couldn't get married. What was I doing? Well, I was daydreaming. And I tell you that story to help you understand how from the earliest years I can remember, I wanted to be married and it's ironic that I didn't get married until I was 30. So that's like two decades after I wanted to elope with Cappy. And so some of you are here and you're thinking, man, I, I know exactly how that feels. I've been waiting, dating, praying, and just wondering if God is ever going to bring Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright into my life. Some of you ladies have been kissing a lot of frogs that have never turned into a prince, right? (laughs) And you're beginning to not just feel like you're single, you might be feeling like you're actually being singled out. I understand I felt that way, and even though, uh, again, I'm married now, I had uh, 15 years of dating and struggling with relationships and singleness, and in that period of time, God showed me, Uh, some great lessons along the way. And so our hope is today that I'll be able to pass on to you some lessons that were passed on to me so these would encourage you and maybe equip you to deal with the single life and dating in a way that honors God. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to jump in and I'm going to share with you four things I wish someone would have told me back when I was still single. And again, I hope that these are encouraging for you. And if you're married, uh, maybe they're Uh, there are some nuggets here that would help you too, okay? So here we go. Number one, I want to encourage you to look for a right person, not the right person. Now, you're thinking that's the same thing. It's actually not, right? The right person is the right person, right? It's the person that God created you to marry, and you can't marry anybody else but this one particular person that God has on earth just for you, right? Maybe you grew up thinking that there was the perfect person out there for you. I did. And so in my early dating years, I would kind of work my way through dating relationships, and in my mind, I had the perfect person that God had planned for me. Kind of reminds me of the movie Shallow Hal, right? There's the character Hal Larson, and I won't give away... The plot too much, but Hal is this guy that believes there's a perfect person out there for him. And so he has this checklist of all the things he wants in a relationship, and he begins to go through one person after the next, and nobody can meet his criteria because he's so particular and so unrealistic, nobody's good enough. And by the way, you learn in the story that it's not a problem with some wonderful ladies that he knows. It's a problem with the fact that he's got expectations so high, that person that he's looking for doesn't actually exist. I think sometimes we get so caught up looking for the one that we pass by somebody that would make a great husband or a great wife. I think our problem is that we just don't understand who we're looking for. So I want to explain it in a way that hopefully will make sense to you because this made sense to a lot of, uh, to me as, uh, as I unpack it with you, okay? So um, I don't know if you have a family member who loves puzzles. My wife loves puzzles. Personally, I don't love puzzles, but because my wife loves puzzles, I love puzzles. Right? You understand? So Amy and I will get out puzzles, and we're not talking these small puzzles like, you know, 500 pieces Now, we're in the big leagues. We're doing 5,000-piece puzzles. And so we'll play puzzles, and I'll begin to get tired of a particular puzzle, and so I'll try to stick a puzzle piece in a space where it doesn't really fit. And she will catch me, and she will threaten my life not to mess up the puzzle, right? Well, did you know that you and I are designed by God to fit? A certain way with somebody else. And I'm not talking about our bodies physically fitting the opposite sex, although that's part of it. I'm talking about the fact that God intended for married couples to fit together. Let me explain a little bit of that as we get into Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve. I want you to note with me what it says in Genesis 2.24. God said, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. I want you to picture that. They're united into one. And and just like a puzzle piece has kind of typically four sides to it, I believe that God designed you and I to fit together with a spouse in at least four different ways, okay? So I'm going to share those with you. The first way is physically. We are meant to fit together with somebody physically. What am I talking about? Well, physical attraction, right? Now, I've come across Christians who are so spiritual that physical attraction doesn't matter. They're those kind of Christians who are like, as long as they love God, and I love God, that's all that I care about. And I'm like, shut up. You know that's not true. You know you want to be attracted, right? I mean, come on. Why did God make attraction to the opposite sex if it doesn't really matter? I think it's important for you to be attracted to someone, and I think it's important for you to uh, uh, stay attractive for them as well. And that's a tip for you married folks like me, that it's important for you to keep yourself up and keep dating and keep looking well and, and do what you can do uh, to take care of yourself to be an attractive spouse. That's really important. And if you're a guy, that's even probably more important to use because God made men to see things through our eyes and women to feel things typically through their hearts, their emotions, okay? So physical attraction, that's one piece of the puzzle piece, all right? One edge. Here's the second part. It's emotional. You should have an emotional connection with somebody if you're looking for a right person. What does this mean? It means that you're around this person and they encourage you, they support you, you feel good about who you are, they don't tear you down, they build you up. How people treat each other sometimes amazes me. I've been in restaurants or fancy places like Walmart. <laughs> what? And I'll, I'll hear people talk to each other in a way where I'm like, I cannot believe you're together. Man, you need to have somebody in your life that builds you up. As a matter of fact, the word that God uses in Genesis chapter two, where it says, I will make a helper, that word not only means a helper, it means somebody who serves you, who saves you, and who builds you up, isn't that cool? That's the kind of person God wants in your life, that's the kind of person you should be as a spouse, is somebody who builds the other person up, who has fun with them, who encourages them, who's their biggest cheerleader. That's a right person if you find somebody who encourages you like that emotionally. Let me give you the third side of the puzzle piece to fit, right, and that is intellectually speaking. This is somebody that you like how they think. I remember when I first met Amy and uh, we got to know each other, and I liked her thinking. It didn't mean I always agreed with her. It didn't mean that we were perfectly having the same exact thoughts all the time. But it meant that I enjoyed conversation. And she saw the world like I saw the world. She believed some of the same things I did. She shared the same values. It's important for you to intellectually engage with somebody if they're going to be your spouse someday. And so you need to find somebody who thinks and agrees with the things you do. In fact, agreement is such an important part of a relationship that God references it in the book of Amos. He is speaking through the prophet Amos uh, to the children of Israel, and he's frustrated with them because they're not acting and thinking the way that he wants them to. And so he asks this question through Amos in Chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, that's a rhetorical question, right? The obvious answer is no, because if you say this direction is north, and I say, No, 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 this direction's north, and we both head north, we're going to be going in opposite directions. That's the point God was trying to make. And that's the point of having the same values, the same goals, being on the same page intellectually with somebody that you are thinking about marrying. You want to have that intellectual connection. Okay? And then the fourth area that you should connect with is spiritually. Now listen, this is last but it's actually the most important thing in the relationship. If everything else is great, if you have you're attracted to this person, they're emotionally great and you know you feel good when you're around them and they accept you and build you up and you enjoy how they think, and you have these great conversations, but they're not on the same page with you spiritually, do yourself a favor and break up as soon as you can. Thank you for that one clap. (laughs) Listen, I know this is not a popular message in the world, but it should be the message of the church. Because even if you have all the other things in common, if you don't have spiritual life in common with them, the most important thing in common with them, you won't have a marriage that God blesses like He would if you did. And I think it's an issue of faith. I think you and I have to believe that God has somebody better for us somebody who believes what we do about God, somebody who wants to raise children in the teachings and in the ways of the church, and somebody who Um, makes small groups and church attendance and worshiping God a priority in their life. One of the things I love is when I wake up in the morning, my wife's a morning person, I'm not. She's usually up about four or five in the morning, every day, even on days when I'm not getting up early. She starts her day with prayer and she plays worship songs. That means the world to me. You need somebody that is on the same page with you spiritually because that's the most important thing. And here's the great news. If you can find somebody who comes along and God brings them in your path and, you know, they're attractive to you, they're emotionally supportive and encouraging to you, you enjoy conversation with them and how they think, and best of all, they love God like you love God, guess what? You have found a right person that I believe could make a wonderful marriage partner, and that's a cool thing. So look for a right person. Don't get so caught up in the perfect person, okay? So that's piece of advice number one. Let me go to number two, and that's this. Date with integrity. Date with integrity. Notice I didn't say wait with integrity. Some of you, you're waiting on the Lord to bring you a husband or a wife, and you're just kind of like Staying in the shadows believing that God is going to like door dash a great person, <laughs> right? My kids have discovered, my teenage boys, they've discovered DoorDash, And so I find myself paying $20 for a cheeseburger that actually should cost about $5 because it gets door dashed. There are people that I've met and, and they're like, man, I just want to get married so bad. I so bad. I want to get married. I believe, I believe God has someone for me. I'm like, great. What are you doing to find that person? I'm waiting on the Lord. <laughs> well, wait somewhere where other people are, okay? <laughs> go to church. Get in a small group. Get involved in ministry. A lot of people meet people at church. There's a plug to come every weekend if you're single. Your odds go up if you're here more often, okay? But it's, it's really important, and I encourage you... Uh, You need to date. And there are Christians that I come in contact with and they hate the idea of dating because they've had a bad experience. So they'll tell me things like, oh, you know, dating's just a worldly thing. Okay, tell me what option B is then for you. See, there are Christians who think that dating is a bad thing because worldly people date. And I understand. Dating today in today's culture Is not a good thing and it's not always a godly thing, that's for sure. And so a lot of Christians think dating's bad. In fact, 20 years ago, there was a book that was written by a guy called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And it was the idea in the book that dating is worldly, so we shouldn't date instead. We should just get to know people in large group settings, skip dating because it's full of hurt and rejection and temptation. And then after a while, we'll just kind of know that the person in the group that we really like might be a good marriage partner and we'll get engaged. I kid you not, that's the plot of the book. Well, guess how that turned out? Not too good, right? So there was a sequel book written called I Gave Dating a Chance. (laughs) I love that. See, there are a lot of people that think dating is unspiritual because the Bible doesn't tell us to date. Well, Here's how I respond to them. The way that people found their spouses in the Bible, okay, we're gonna be biblical. Let's just look at a few examples, okay? We'll start with Adam. How did Adam find his spouse? Took a nap. He took a nap and he woke up and he was like, oh man, oh, something's going on. And he looked over and there is Eve and he's like, whoa, man. And he called her woman. And that's how he got his spouse, right? Some of you are like, whoa, man, woman, woman. You need caffeine, friend. That's why we have it on Saturday nights. So that's Adam. How about Jacob? Well, Jacob didn't have any money to pay for a wife, which was part of his culture. So he had to work for her for seven years. But they went by so fast because he was so in love with her. Her name was Rachel. Well, so he worked for her for seven years. And then They had their wedding in the dark apparently because the next morning he woke up and realized that the woman that he married wasn't in bed next to him. It was her sister. So he found out he got duped and then he had to commit to work another seven years, totaling 14 years if you're bad at math, for his wife. That's not a good strategy. How about Jacob's son, Isaac? Well, Isaac didn't fare a whole lot better. Um, uh, I said his son, it's not a son. Isaac, here's what happened to Isaac, okay? Abraham decided he would get a son for Isaac, and so what did Abraham do? He said, trust me, son, I'm gonna go get a wife for you. Abraham took his servant and sent his servant across the country to pick out a bride for his son. Now, I want to ask you, if you're here and you're single, would you trust your dad to ask a friend to go across the country and pick out a spouse for you? I'm going with no on that one, right? But that's exactly what happened, and that's how Isaac found Rebekah. Let me give you one more. David, does anybody here know the story of David and how he, um, let's see, how he got Michal, his uh, King Saul's daughter, to marry him? Well, I'll let you read that story on your own, okay? Let's just say that uh, he paid for his bride with the skin of his enemies, all right? See, there is no exact template in the Bible for how people found a spouse, so you can't say dating is right or wrong. People followed the practices of their culture. Here's what's important, is doing that with integrity. So how can you? How can you date with integrity. Well, let me give you a couple of good ways to do that. First of all, I want to encourage you to focus the most on faith and friendship. We are living in a time where people go straight to premarital sex like never before. There's no boundaries, there's no honor, there's no expectations of anything better than that. And so if you're dating right now, I want to encourage you the two things that matter most in marriage are your faith and your friendship with your spouse. So I would work on those things and I would keep romance to the back burner because romance has a way of making you think the relationship is better than it actually might be. And second to that is that you've got to set and you've got to keep healthy boundaries. You've got to set up Do's and don'ts in the relationship so you don't go somewhere that you didn't intend to go. And the third way to do that is an accountability partner. When I was a student pastor, I knew that I had to be very careful because I was in ministry. And so I had an accountability partner who would call me or have coffee with me occasionally to say, how are you doing? Are you doing things you shouldn't be doing? Are you going places you shouldn't be going? Are you... Taking the relationship somewhere that God doesn't want you to take it. And I thank God for accountability because it helps us guard our integrity. But there's a fourth thing about dating with integrity that's important, and that's this know when to call it quits. I have met people, and this this blows my mind. I've met people that have been dating for five years. And I'm thinking, Why are you dating somebody for five years? Isn't the purpose of dating to get to know somebody and to get to know if they're a good fit for you? And if they are, get married. And if they're not, break up. And I'm wondering, why are you staying together for five years? You're putting yourself in romantic temptation doing that. You are wasting time. You're causing hurt. You need to either make a commitment or you need to get out of it. Let me give you the definition of the purpose of Christian dating, okay? And again, this is for Christians. This is not what people in the world are going to do. But if you call yourself a Christian and you want to date like a Christian should date, here's the definition. Here we go. Christian dating is to get to know someone who is also a Christian interested in you and explore where God might be leading the two of you in the future. It's not to try it before you buy it. How disrespectful and dishonoring. No, it's to see what God has planned for the two of you. And if you sense that they're a right person and they sense you're a right person, you go through your premarital and you get married and you enjoy that marriage. But if you begin to determine that they are not a right fit, break it off. Honor the other person. Don't stay in this holding pattern like an airplane that never lands on the runway. That's just not a good thing to do. Okay, number three, here we go. Third thing we need to do is avoid believing the myths about marriage. While you're single, I want to encourage you not to believe some of the things I believed when I was single that discouraged me a lot. There were these ideas and these myths about dating, and I thought they were true. Uh, One of those is that married people are better than single people. I met—I had friends, close friends, and we were um, graduating high school. And they were dating somebody. And by the time they were 20, they were married, and I was still single. By the time they were 22, they were starting to have kids. I was still single. By the time they were 25, they were having their kids were getting older, and they were established as a family, and I was still single. Single till I was 30. And I had this idea that maybe there was something wrong with me. And I would hear people say this term, single for a season or single for a reason. (laughs) And I started dating when I was like 15, seriously, at Putt-Putt. My parents had to take me because I couldn't drive yet. So I'm thinking, I'm 25, it's been 10 years. I've been single for quite a season now. Maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe there's a reason why nobody wants me. I'm a failure. I, I'm not eligible. God has forgotten me. I went through all this kind of stuff. I just want to tell you, if you're single, that's not, a, that's not true. Being married does not make you any better than somebody who's single. So don't believe that, okay? And don't believe that married people are happier than single people. Now, I know you're looking at me and you're like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're married now. Because that's exactly what I'd say if I was single and you were married. married. Being married does not make you happy, per se. There's a lot of joy that comes from marriage when you do marriage God's way. But marriage is not easy. And we have uh, pastors who get calls all the time in a ministry called Reengage that's amazing because couples go through it. They lose a child. Or there's an affair. Or... Something happens in the marriage, and the marriage is anything but fun and easy. If you're looking to get married because you think you're going to be happy being married, I just, want to, I just want to caution you, that's not necessarily the case. I had wonderful years full of lots of great relationships, lots of fun. I enjoyed life as a single guy for a very long time. And I love my marriage, and I believe marriage is God's invention. And again, when it's done God's way, it's a blessing. But it's not always easy. So that's a myth. Or how about this one? Married people aren't lonely anymore. Really? Well, that's according to Graham Russell. He's a poet that wrote these words. He said, I was down. My dreams were wearing thin. When you're lost, where do you begin? My heart always seemed to drift from day to day, looking for the love that never came my way. That's so sad. Some of you are like, straight up. I feel that, right? But the song changes. He says, then you smiled and I reached out to you. I could tell you were lonely too. One look, then it all began for you and me. The moment that we touched, I knew that there would be two less lonely people in the world. And it's going to be fine. Out of all the people in the world, I just can't believe you're mine. In my life where everything was wrong, something finally went right. Now there's two less lonely people in the world tonight. So that is a song from Air Supply, and it's beyond cheesy, but it was a number one hit. Why? Because being lonely stinks, right? So if you're single, you're always thinking, I need to find somebody because I'm tired of being lonely. And I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm just gonna tell you, you can be really lonely and be married at the same time. I've known lots of people who their spouse was deployed overseas and they went months, even over a year without seeing their spouse and they were lonely. I've met people who their spouse got sick or had something happen with work and they were apart for long seasons of time and they were lonely. But I've met a lot of people who live under the same roof with the person that they were so in love with at one point. But they find themselves now being just roommates instead of soulmates. They don't date. They don't do anything romantic. And they're as lonely as can be while still being married. That's a different kind of loneliness, and it exists. Listen, a partner is a wonderful thing, but a partner is not going to fulfill everything that you need. Only God can do that, and only a circle of friends can do that. That's why we're always talking about have a great relationship with God, and get in a small group. I was single a long time, and my small group made a world of difference for me. Okay, let me give you number four. The last thing I want to encourage you to do is, if you're single, use your time. Leverage your time for Christ. Don't waste that time. Don't spend that time miserable thinking about what you don't have instead of thinking about the opportunity God has given you. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He makes the point to uh, people living in Corinth. He's talking about marriage, and then he says this, which is kind of ironic in verse 7. He says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. And I'm sure the Corinthians were like, You just got done talking about marriage, and now you're talking about you wish everyone was single. What are you talking about? A little later in the chapter, he says, This, He says, listen, let me explain. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities, how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever, you, uh, whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So what is Paul saying? Is he saying marriage is bad? No. Is he trying to make us feel guilty if we want to be married? Not at all. He's saying, listen, guys. While we're talking about marriage, I just want you to know if you're single, don't hate your singleness right now. Use your singleness. Understand that you can do things right now in your life that a married person, especially with kids, probably can't do. So I would say the same to you. Think about it. If you're single right now, you can go on mission trips, go to places, preach the gospel, and you don't have to get permission from a spouse. You don't have to worry about your kids and their school and those things. If you're single right now, you can serve in ministry. You can help with some of our small group ministries, or you can be here on weekends helping out. I know a lot of single people who do that because they don't have to worry about a spouse or kids or other responsibilities. If you're single, you can even work in a church. Being bivocational, working a full-time job, wherever God wants you to, but also serving on staff, making a difference. I know that's the case because that's what I did. I became a believer when I was 22. I was single, still single. So I began to serve, and I loved serving. I loved making a difference. I began to volunteer in different ministries, and then by the time I was about 26, I got my first part-time job in ministry. And so I would work all day in construction, And that was my have-to job. And then as soon as I was done, I would would go home, I would clean up, and then I worked from 6 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday, in a ministry. And I loved every minute of it. And guess what? I couldn't have done that had I been married at the time. But it worked for me. Then when I turned 29, I had the opportunity to go on staff as a student pastor at a church. I'm just going to be honest. The pay was terrible. It was like $11.50 an hour which 20 years ago was still terrible. But I did the math. I sat down and I thought, you know what? I live in a meager, small place. I don't mind eating a lot of ramen noodles. I can make this work. And so I agreed to go on staff because I didn't have a wife at the time or kids at the time that I needed to provide for, just me. So I took this job as a student pastor. And I remember praying when I took the job. I said, Lord, I think I can make this work and I believe this is where you're calling me. I'm a little nervous about this, but there's just one thing I'm going to ask from you, just one. I'm going to give this job everything I've got, and because I'm going to give it everything I've got, I'm not going to have a lot of time to socialize outside the church. So the only thing I'm going to ask you is, if you want me to be married, you're going to have to help me find a right person to marry, because I'm not going to have time to be at any other church doing anything else. And that was a long time before eHarmony, so don't, Don't think I'm poo-pooing that, okay? So that was my prayer. And I took the job, and I worked and worked and worked, and I made that job my ministry. I made that job my my life. And I gave my all to it for many, many years. Well, there was one weekend when the pastor was going to be gone, and he said, listen, I need you to teach for me. And uh, so you can teach on whatever you want to, but I'm going to be gone, so cover for me. And I said, okay. So the pastor said, I want you to teach... Um, on whatever God put on your heart. And one of the things I was seeing is that the church that I was at, it was a great church, but I felt like people were not stretching themselves to become everything God wanted them to be. And so I gave a message called, but wait, there's more. And the point of my message was, some of us are so used to living this life for God, we don't realize God has so much more in store for us if we'll be fully committed to him. So I was so excited because it was my first time teaching the adults, and I prayed about it, and my hands were sweaty, and I got up and I delivered this message to all the adults in the church. And then at the end of the message, I gave an invitation. And this is a Baptist church, okay? So you're supposed to walk forward if you're making an invitation. So I said, okay, if there's anybody here and God's been speaking to you, and God wants you just to come to him today and say, God, I want more of you in my life. I I don't wanna settle for this, I want this. I want you to stand on your feet and come forward. Now, you can come forward now, right now. And nobody came forward and I was so embarrassed and I was about to close the time and one person got up from their seat and they began walking down Tears running down their face. And I said, Why did you come forward? And they answered, I just believe that I've been living this way and God has something in store for me. I don't know what it is, but I've been fighting it. And this is exactly what I needed to hear. And so we prayed together. And I began to see her, this young lady at church. She was in my small group, and I began to get to know her. She was very attractive. She was very emotionally encouraging. We began to date. She began to serve in the student ministry. And I began to love the way that she thought about life and the world. And I began to see her grow spiritually to the point where I felt like we were on the same page. And the day came when we stood before God. I had found the one that my heart loves. And we exchanged vows. And she became my wife. And I remember right after we were married, I prayed this little prayer to God. And I said, finally, Lord, 30 years old, come on, help a brother out. It sure took you a long time to bring me a wife. And without missing a beat, I felt like God responded to that statement and said, it sure took you a long time to be the kind of person you needed to be so I could bring you a wife. And I realized that I had focused so much on finding a right person, I had not been focusing on being a right person. Friend, if you're here and you're single and you're frustrated, don't believe the lies. Don't be discouraged. God is sovereign. He's wise. He's good. He knows what's best for you. His timing is perfect. Don't settle. Don't look for the perfect person because they don't exist. But look for a right person, date with integrity, Trust God, use your time wisely, and God will take care of you, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us in Scripture that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Lord, there's many probably listening, probably watching, probably here who feel like they've been singled out while everybody else seems to be living the dream and having a spouse, even having kids, they're stuck in the waiting room and they're wondering, Lord, what is going on? Don't you care? Don't you know? I pray that you would give them peace in their heart right now, that you are faithful, that you're good, that you have great plans for them. Lord, anytime we believe that you've forgotten us, remind us, Lord, that you know exactly what we need even before we ask Lord for those of us who are married I pray that we would be reminded to continue to date our spouse to nurture the physical emotional, intellectual and the spiritual relationship we have Lord to date them and to love them and to serve them and not to settle for being just roommates Lord we love you and we thank you and we ask this in Jesus name Amen